0: And would you point us in our emotions and our thoughts in every part of us, Lord, Would you draw our attention to this scene that we imagine and we sing about in carols, of this manger and this shepherds and this holy family? And Father, would you somehow aliven our hearts, refresh our hearts with this familiar scene? That we might be caught with the wonder of it uh, yet again. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to the kids for a second. Kids, everyone pay attention. This might be the only part of the sermon that you pay attention, but just for a moment. So I remember what it was like to be a kid. And I remember it was like a rite of passage that on Christmas Eve you're so excited about everything that's going to happen and you had to sit through this long, boring church service with a long, boring sermon. And um, I want you to know that I kept it short just for you. It might not seem like it's short, but talk to your parents. It is about half the length of what it usually is. My favorite part of the Christmas service growing up was right after the sermon when the pastor would pray because I was so sleepy and I got to put my head down like this and I got to catch a little moment of sleep while he prayed. So, kids, we're glad you're here with us today. And um, I promise it won't be too long. We're just going to take a brief look at the nativity story from Luke chapter 2. It is arguably the most recognizable and widely read passage in the whole Bible. But although we know it well, I'm not sure that we always grasp what it's saying to us. And specifically, what it says about God. It shows us something essential about God's character that we are too prone to forget or to overlook. There's a lot going on in Luke 2, but I want to consider the manner in which God entered our world in Jesus. The manner in which God entered our world in Jesus. Because how he shows up reveals something about his character. So let's look at how God showed up in an unlikely town to some unworthy recipients through an unremarkable sign. God showed up in an unlikely town to some unworthy recipients through an unremarkable sign. So first, he showed up in an unlikely town. I remember very clearly sitting in carpool line. The year was 1990. It was an early September morning. And we were sitting a little longer in our carpool line because we were listening to the radio. And on the radio... There was someone broadcasting live from wherever it was, somewhere in the world. The International Olympic Committee was about to make its announcement of who would host the 1996 Olympic Games. And we waited with anticipation, and the the guy, he had a Spanish accent, he said, and the 1996 Olympic Games goes to the city of Atlanta. And we started celebrating. We started screaming and cheering, and we go into the school, and everyone is hooping and hollering. This was a big moment for Atlanta, and one of the reasons why was we were the dark horse candidate, a very unlikely choice to host the 1996 Olympic Games. Not only did we have to beat out some of the American cities like Minneapolis, Nashville, San Francisco, then we had to go onto the international stage and beat a Montreal, a Melbourne, Australia, and Athens, Greece, which didn't go over so well. Because they had history on their side. I think it was like the 100-year anniversary of the modern games or something like that. So there might still be some animosity between Athens and Atlanta. Well, if Atlanta was an unlikely choice for the Olympic Games, if it was really an offensive choice to some, then Bethlehem was even more so as the birthplace of the Messiah. If you were here with us last Sunday, we looked at this passage from Micah chapter 5, where it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But Micah points out the irony of this. He says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little, too insignificant to be among the clans of Judah. You see, Bethlehem, pretty well known today. I don't know if you saw a news clip or something on Facebook. All the crowds are gathering there today. Pretty well known, not so in Jesus' time. It was not an important place. We do know King David was from there, so that puts it on the map. But then he went on to rule in Jerusalem, the city of kings. Jerusalem was where the action was. Jerusalem was where God dwelled on earth. Jerusalem was where the priests made their sacrifices. When the magi come from the east, where do they go? Jerusalem. And they say, hey, what about this king? And Herod didn't like the news, but he also didn't know. He was like, well, I don't know. And so he had to bring together his advisors and they're the ones that brought up this obscure prophecy from Micah and said, oh yes, it's Bethlehem. You see, Bethlehem was an unlikely choice, one that probably brought offense to religious and political elite. But that's where God chose to show up in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Why? What does it tell us about God? Let's keep going. Second, God showed up to some unworthy recipients. To some unworthy recipients. A friend of mine has written a book. I think it's going to be a very good book. And in preparation for its publication, he has been gathering endorsements, those kind of pithy quotes that uh, end up on the the back of the book to, to tell you that it's worthwhile and that you should buy it. And the more well-respected the scholar or whatever, the person who endorses it is, the better it is for that book. It says, yes, this is a good one. It validates it. It promotes its message. If You think about it, although when we read Luke chapter 1, we're, we're excited about the story, about what the angels are saying to Jesus, I mean to Mary, about Jesus. Really, all of this stuff about Jesus' birth and about his messianic identity, it was kind of a family secret. It wasn't being shared very widely. Certainly Mary knew something about it. Joseph had heard from an angel as well. Mary's relative, Elizabeth, had gotten some news. We know that she kind of has this amazing greeting when when she meets Mary, and possibly Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, knew something as well. But it really hadn't gone public. Well, after Jesus' birth, it was time to get the word out about who he was. And so who did God choose? Who was going to endorse and promote the identity of this child? Maybe some priest in Jerusalem. I like priests. That would be a good choice, right? Maybe some official in Herod's court. Maybe they would even get somebody with some clout in the Roman Empire, and now you're really spreading it across the world more widely. No, but of course we know God didn't choose any of these. Instead, he visited some of the most unworthy recipients in all of Israel, shepherds. Shepherds were the first people to learn the amazing news that the creator God had showed up in his creation. Now, there was a time in Israel's history when shepherds were respectable. Many of their great leaders had been shepherds after all, Moses and David and Amos the prophet. But as Israel settled into the land, they became less nomadic, and shepherding, which was by nature more of a nomadic profession, was a less sought-after profession. In fact, shepherds began to decline in the social scale, and they, they became to be considered around the time of Jesus as one of the lowest social classes. Part of this may have been due to their kind of peculiar and isolated way of life out among the sheep. That would also keep them from participating fully in the religious life of Israel, thereby further excluding them. The Christian writer Randy Alcorn notes that in Christ's day, shepherds stood at the bottom rung of the Palestinian social ladder. They shared the same unenviable status as tax collectors and dung sweepers. This is the promotion. This is the publicity that God has in mind. These are the recipients of the message, hardly the eyewitnesses we would expected of the newborn king, hardly the messengers we would have hoped for to share this good news. This is really the earliest account of evangelistic activity that we have in the Gospels. These shepherds have the news, and they begin to spread it, and people are marveling at their account. It's a little bit like how women were the first to discover Jesus' resurrection, now, back in that time, women were not considered trustworthy witnesses. They weren't, their, their word about something wasn't necessarily going to be held up, and so that was quite surprising. It actually gives the gospel stories a ring of truth, the fact that they recorded that they were women who saw the resurrection. So for his two greatest miracles, Jesus' birth and his resurrection, God picks the most unworthy and easily dismissed witnesses. Why? Why? What does this tell us about God? Well, let's look at one more aspect. The third aspect of the story is an unremarkable sign. An unremarkable sign. Now, God does show up to the shepherds in a remarkable way. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. It's nighttime They're on a lonely hillside, and all of a sudden, this dazzling heavenly messenger shows up. The sky is filled with light, and their first reaction, understandably, is fear. A priest would be afraid, but these aren't priests. They're not used to being sort of in the presence of the holiness of God, so they're nobodies, and they're really going to be afraid. Angel says, don't be afraid, and then gives them this remarkable message. Verse 11 for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord those three titles right there hugely significant savior christ which means messiah and lord often a designation for yahweh himself in the old testament so they show up in a remarkable way they have a remarkable announcement and then you have this remarkable heavenly choir break out and singing it would have brought us to our knees So yes, their experience of encountering God was remarkable, but the sign they were given to discover Jesus is not. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The angel, the light, the message, the choir, those aren't the sign. The sign is a baby in a manger. A little infant wrapped up in some rags, experiencing life for the first time, in a feeding trough. That's your sign, shepherds. That's how you're to identify the newborn king. That's where you'll discover the entry of the holy God into his creation. It's an interesting word, sign. Shows up dozens and dozens of times in the Gospels in reference to Jesus. And virtually every time, it's talking about something miraculous. Miraculous. That was very much associated with Jesus' life. He was always doing signs and wonders. But strangely, the first sign ever associated with Jesus is entirely unremarkable. Now, it's a bit peculiar, I'll grant you that, because babies weren't normally born and placed in mangers, especially if a baby was considered a king. But the sign itself is not miraculous, and it's not remarkable, especially to shepherds. They knew very well about mangers. It was an everyday thing to them. They might have been quite intimidated to walk into a temple or to a palace, but walking up to a manger, that was something they understood. And maybe that was part of the point. So what does all this tell us about God? Why does he show up in an unlikely town to some unworthy recipients through an unremarkable sign? It shows us, friends, that we're dealing with a different kind of God. That's one of the messages of Christmas. We're dealing with a different kind of God. It's a lot more than we could get into, but in Luke chapter 2, there's a really interesting contrast happening because it starts with who? Caesar Augustus. He put out a decree into all the world, and it was going to be followed, that all the world had to be registered. Why? So they could be taxed so that he could have more money, so that he could have more power. So that version of God, of leadership, even the titles that are used of Jesus are used of him. There's a lot of interesting interplay going on here. That's not the kind of God we're dealing with. Rather, the nativity story shows us in a very surprising way that the God who enters the world is a God who embraces humility. And not as just a temporary thing but as very part of his character. You see, God showed up in our world in these humble ways, not in spite of his glory, but as the fullest expression of it. The angels were not mistaken when they sung, glory to God in the highest, because the highest glory belongs to him who has descended the lowest. The highest glory belongs to him who has descended the lowest. And in Jesus Christ, God came all the way down, not just into the unremarkable manger and these unworthy recipients in this unlikely town, but into the muck and mire of life. I have to make a confession. I really want the Christmas card version of Christmas, right? I just, I just want some peace and quiet. I just want my kids to not be sick and my wife to have to stay home tonight. You notice they're not there. I don't want to walk in and greet a friend of mine and hear that her beloved aunt has six months left to live. I don't want friends to be at home because they're facing death. I don't want to hear about a shooting up at North Lake Mall. That's what I walked into tonight and I was sitting there saying, why God? Where's the peace and quiet? Where's the silent night? And as I was sitting there worshiping, it occurred to me, this is why we have Christmas. This is why God came down. Not to put all the shiny faces on the card, but into the muck and into the mire. But he didn't stop there, did he? We watch as this little baby grows up. And as he grows up, he goes even further down. He goes in to sin and in to death, all the way down. So that the Apostle Paul can write in Philippians 2, therefore God exalted him and gave him the name above every name. Not in spite of his humility, friends, not in spite of it, but because of it. It's the reason we worship God. There are other gods out there being worshipped, but not the way that Yahweh is being worshipped as he reveals himself through Jesus Christ. The best scene, I think, in all the Bible of what worship of God looks like, it's Revelation 4 and 5, the last book of the Bible, we get this, this, this glimpse into what's happening in the heavenlies. And right in the middle of the worship, there's the throne, there's God, of course, but then we see... This lamb as though slain come before the throne of God and the whole place erupts with a new song of praise because of him. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, they praise him. Worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Why? Because he was slain. Because he became a lamb. That's the reason that we worship him. So this little story that we're all so familiar with says something pretty astounding, pretty shocking really about the God that we worship. It is part of his character to be humble. It's the very nature of God to stoop down, to condescend himself in order to lift us up. You see, if you really press in to God's humility, it's an expression of his love. The very nature of God is self-giving love, giving himself away, coming down for the good of the beloved. Friends, some of you tonight may not know that kind of God. May, maybe you call yourself a Christian, but that, that kind of picture hasn't really penetrated your heart. Or maybe you're here tonight and you say, I, I'm not a Christian, I don't worship this God, I came with a family member or a friend. But maybe the God that you have left behind or rejected is not the God who is really there. Wherever we're coming from, my prayer would be tonight that this God who put the glory of his humility on display in Jesus Christ would capture our hearts again. Would you pray? Father, we do thank you that in this moment, in this precious scene, in this story that we know well, you have put your humility out of your love on display for us. And I pray tonight that every mind and heart would somehow be touched by this in the way that you have for them, Lord. You, you know the kind of muck and mire that many of us find ourselves in. And you came down precisely because of that to lift us up and to make us part of you in your trinity, in love, in Christ. We bless you for this, Lord. We thank you. We pray, God, that you would make it real to us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.